0: You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hey, this is Ariel Hawani, host of the MMA Hour on the Vox Media Podcast Network. Each week, we interview the biggest names in the world of mixed martial arts and beyond. So
1: tune in live every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern over at MMAFighting.com or download the show afterwards on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll
0: see you then. All right, welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. Today is special because I'm actually joined in studio, this is Ben, by Mike Pina of Vice Sports. And Mike Prada is currently on the line Skyping in. So a little reversal of roles from what our traditional setup. Uh, Prada, can you hear us?
2: Oh, yeah. All right, oh, excellent. Yeah. Excellent, <laughs> excellent.
0: And Mike Pina, welcome to uh, Vox Media. Thank you so much for having ev- This is an honor, the first time in person. It's good. It's good. It's very nice to see your face and uh, to hear Mike's lovely voice. Um, we need to talk about some stuff, guys. I was actually in London for the last four days. I saw some British Basketball League play. It was awesome. Uh, Shout out to my friend Mike Tuck out there, who's a captain and and, and enjoying his time playing English hoops. But MLK Day basketball is the essence of NBA basketball. It's a showcase. Tons of good games starting at noon. I love that. It's a good day off to watch basketball. And so much happened yesterday. I feel like I got off the plane and I had to spend the rest of my day just catching up on what happened, let alone being able to watch the nightcap, which was... um, you know, a few games to be said. That's the Clippers, Rockets, Warriors, Cavs. So Prada, where or the, do you, night, the night cap. <laughs> where, where do you want to start, Mike? What's like? What's the let's, best place? Can we
2: talk about the fight? Right, talk about the
0: fight. Let's start Clippers is, Rockets. Is the
2: fight like? Wait, is the fight like a right way to say?
0: No, let let's, what let's just let's just call it animosity. Let's just say what it is here, which is it didn't start last night. It started a long time ago. So, all right, Pina.
2: Can we review like what happened? Because I was I'm not gonna lie, I wasn't up for that. I've been catching up all day. Sure. There's so so much here.
0: Okay. All right, I'll give you the the elevator uh, pitch on this Prada. So okay, basically Clippers won 102 over the Rockets. It was a testy game from like the very beginning. We're talking like every time there's a foul and someone holds the ball in their hand, someone's slapping it out. You know, uh, a lot of the petty stuff after the whistle, there was a play in which Blake was jumping out of bounds and he tried to throw the ball off of, you know, you throw it off another player. Well, he threw it as hard as he could off of Gordon's like upper shoulder so like hunt hunting for the head if you will when there's an etiquette yeah. to that then um there were a number uh, of by the way i've
2: done i've done that in a game before
0: yeah when i, I mean, was young I, th- I chucked it off some dude's head you sure and you don't aim for it like usually that happens you'll see someone get in the face occasionally or the groin or whatever but that's usually when it's more of a reaction this was like blake jumping with some time and throwing it as hard as he could yeah. ironically <laughs> it hits off gordon and hits blake while he's out of bounds so it was rocket's ball um but
2: that Have happens. you ever done that before, by the way? Have you ever done that? Oh, yeah. I mean, many Either times. Have you ever throws... chucked it? I mean, like one time I tried to aim for the leg and I chucked off the dude's head. Well, that's just...
1: That's good accuracy. That's... That's... <laughs> that's <laughs>
0: pretty... <laughs> There's a reason I write about basketball. I yeah. don't play it. <laughs> Two left hands um, as a righty. All right. So the other parts of this were every time there could be contact between uh, Chris Paul and Blake, there was. Every time Ariza could find himself in some bit of a contact point, he was looking for it. Um there was a lot of animosity to start this game. Obviously, you know, the 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 way that Chris Paul left the Clippers, the way that his relationship had always been defined with Blake was murky at best. So, what we kind of saw last night was that all coming together in a frustration game because the Clippers won and and Chris Paul ben, you're lost. you're bearing the
2: lead. You're bearing the lead. You got to talk
0: about the scheme to get into the back entrance of the Clippers locker room. I'm getting there, man. And then and then after the game, after this physical game has ended, Chris Paul, who does know the Staples Center well, and probably knows the best ways to get out while not, you know, finding the media or fans, use those secret tunnels, the the uh, the back door entrances, if you will, to try to bring a posse to fight the Clippers. And I believe the rumor here is that he sent Clint Capella to the front door to knock on like the regular room, so that
1: they could then go out into the back. Door. Did he send Clint, or was that Clint just being? He went rogue there. I don't. I don't.
0: We yeah. don't know yet. There's so many, there's there's <laughs> reports or rumors that Chris Paul and Harden also got into it in the locker room, but bottom line is, a number, I think it was Green, Ariza, and Chris Paul went to looking for the Clippers, specifically Austin Rivers, who wasn't even playing in the game, um, and what you have here, and I'll start off with my speculation here, guys, is like, Chris Paul hates losing, and he's a... He could be kind of a, a punk out there. like He could be kind of an asshole. And I think that the Clippers universe and the Clippers fans know that. The Clippers players, who were his teammates for a decade or less than that, but for a number of years, were aware of that. It was an important game for both teams, more important than maybe most regular season games were, just given the relationships. Um, and those frustrations 100% boiled over. And I'm not always a huge fan of when that happens. Like, I, think there's, I think there's a cool— <laughs> It's I think there's, awesome. I, uh, <laughs> I think it takes away sometimes— it is funny, but I don't like the—I f- think the one thing the NBA could get screwed over by is if the culture of the game goes too close to fighting again. Like, that was basically one of the things that almost railroaded the NBA in the 70s, um, early 80s. And, like, there have been a number of scraps now. Like There have been some punches thrown in the last couple weeks. So, I don't know. Like, Pina, you tell me right now. Are
1: you a fan of fighting? Do you like hearing all this extra shit that went on in this game? I am just—my— my primary takeaway is that people are too sensitive in the NBA right now and this this speaks to like going back to like the all-star vote and how you know some players supposedly or agents or whoever don't want uh you know the results of the captain vote to be released because they don't want hurt feelings <laughs> you have uh you know Budenholzer flipping out at Dwayne Casey a couple weeks back because a, a layup was scored in like a 10-point game in the final seconds. Daniel
2: like, Lillard with Chris Paul right, as well,
1: exactly. So it's just like you lost the game. Austin Rivers is talking, which, sure, that he has his, it's his right to do. Yep. And you, you lost. Oh, so I, I left put up with
0: it. a big part of this out, too, which was Blake did brush up with Dantoni. Oh, he got the F bomb. F bomb? Yeah. I mean, like, yeah.
1: but he physically,
0: like, brushed him. I wouldn't say he pushed him, but, and Dantoni, you know, uh, to Blake's credit, was a little bit on the court, um, slightly. But anyhow, that was just one other aspect of this. And, and Dantoni was not super excited about that. To your point, Mike, they didn't. It's not like they barged
2: through the front door. They went back (laughs) into the, like... It's not a secret entrance, but I'm just imagining—I'm just imagining Chris Paul as the general, like kind of conducting a <laughs> battle plan. It's so all like, hand Okay, signals. we're going to attack from this flank. We're, me and Trev and James are going to go on the right, yeah. and Gerald Green's going to go on the left, and Clint Capelli, you're going to be like the balloon boy from uh, Ocean's <laughs> <laughs> Eleven.
0: He, he sacrifices one of his teammates to get in there. He's like Decker, just go, just go. <laughs> <laughs> cover us <laughs> <laughs> but like you know it's, it's it's fascinating though man because like this is a, a a potential matchup that could happen in the playoffs looking more and more like it as the Clippers play better and, and the Rockets uh, stay around that you know 2-3 seed um, they are 2-7 right now is that what it would be right now 2-7 so I mean look that would be That'd be great. I mean, talk about taking the, the rivalry to the next level. And the other thing is the the Clippers role players, the guys who Doc has been maximizing right now, and i got to give credit where credit's due uh, from an actual basketball standpoint here, but like Montrez Harrell and, and Bryce Johnson and Wallace, the, the, the uh, G-Leaguer who they brought, like, these guys have been playing really well, and Doc's been getting a lot out of them. And then obviously Lou Williams is emerging as, we know what Lou is, like he's always been a great scorer, doesn't play much D, but he's taken his scoring to another level. Um yeah, and they've been pesky. They've been playing really, really good basketball. And obviously Blake coming back from his concussion helps. But they won last night without DeAndre Jordan. So it's not like just Harden was missing. Uh, DeAndre Jordan was missing. And and they really did take it to them physically. And it seems like the Rockets don't really want to be in a physical matchup. But I find that to be an interesting thing here where like the game itself, which was a good one, kind of got uh, put on the back burner by by the personal relationships that kind of heated it up. But let me ask you, uh, uh, Mike Pina, which game did you watch yesterday? Uh, that you thought was the most interesting.
1: Well, I, I actually was before I flipped it on. Like I said to my fiance, I was like, "This is the only game that matters, really." And it's obviously Cavs Warriors. Like that's every possession, I'm stopping, rewinding, trying to see what happened. It's like the most. It's the most fascinating, but also it's the most uh, like relevant and significant because the, these two teams, I still think, are probably going to face each other in the finals for the fourth straight year. And there's new, uh, you know, supporting casts. Uh, and the pieces are a little bit different from previous years. So it's just like you can learn something new. I feel like every single time they, they match up against one another. And, I mean, up until the final five, six minutes, it was a, it was a good basketball game. Yeah. Yeah. Prada, did you watch? Uh, yeah, definitely watched that one. Did you guys
2: feel a little melancholy when that was done, that game? That felt like... like I don't know. They're, I think saying that the rivalry is dead is too much, but that felt a little bit like game four in a sweep series when the home team like kind of comes out with everything they've got because they have nothing to lose, and they just. I said it on Twitter and it was it felt like a marathon runner trying to sprint and they just got out kicked at the end. Mm. That's kind of what the game felt like to me. Like this was like the game, the sweep game where we all know who the better team is. One team comes out really spirited, but just runs out of gas. And I felt a little sad. I don't know. <laughs> is that just an impression that only I got? Like, I don't. We've had midseason Cavs-Warriors games where it felt like there was no hope for the Cavaliers and then they found a way to get it done. But I don't know. I mean, something feels like this was the end of something.
1: It, it For me, it felt like this iteration of the Cavs can't beat this iteration of the Warriors. This is the best Warriors team I think ever uh if just like you look at the options that Kerr has, and obviously this is Durant's second season there, he's super comfortable. they've been running a ton of curry durant pick and rolls now lately, and it's that's the most unstoppable thing in basketball, really, so I mean, from my perspective, it's now what trade or what move is Kobe Altman gonna make, and you know there's a lot of options that you can discuss uh you know. Moving the Brooklyn pick. I've been a big advocate for that to happen. And I I mean, it would be kind of silly not to. I kind of think I understand the argument against it. But if your hope is to keep LeBron James, the only chance to do that is to win the title. You're not going to win the title unless you move the Brooklyn pick. So it's pretty open and shut to me.
2: And at this point, that pick is worth more theoretically than it will be in June because that's going to be what, like the eighth, ninth pick, most likely? Yeah, it's so, fall even tr- lower than that. It's it's six through twelve is basically what it'll fall at, which right. Is so the fine. idea of it as like unprotected first round pick has more value than what it actually is. Mm-hmm. So to your point about wanting to move it, um, so I agree with that. I mean, is there the problem though? Is something smells off about this Cavs team? You see you saw the report that the ESPN report that players don't think that they can turn it around this time. And it strikes me watching, watching them yesterday, watching Isaiah Thomas, uh, do some, some good, some bad watching Jay Crowder, do his thing, watching Dwayne Wade that this, this Cavs team does not have the familiar sort of things to lean back on. when They had previously gone into these sort of pits of irrelevance mm-hmm. and, trading for the Brooklyn pick. First of all, I don't know like who are they going to get that's really going to make a huge difference there. I mean, it's one of those teams that looks right in theory but something is broken and I don't think that's why I was so melancholy about it is that yeah, okay. Isaiah will find his footing a little bit more. There's all this tactical stuff whatever, but they have the elements. It's just that it doesn't they don't mix for all sorts of various reasons and right. you know, making a trade is not going to I mean, unless Paul George decides suddenly that he wants to leave Oklahoma city, like Hmm. they're not going to get something that really gets them the cohesion. You need to beat the Warriors. I mean, they, again, that game felt like they're running, they're running, they're sprinting a marathon. They come out real hard. They play together for a while and then it's just the Warriors outlast them and they fold because they just don't have the sort of good habits. They don't have the, the uh, the chemistry, they're falling apart with these transition defense sequences. I mean, I, I thought you could tell by the third quarter where that game was going to go.
0: Yeah, the second half was a blowout. <laughs> I mean, the,
2: And even though it was close after the third quarter, I felt like that was sort of, you could sense the Cavs just tiring and having nothing left.
0: I mean, part of it is LeBron put up a game that he puts up, right? So when you kind of start at the baseline of LeBron will put up on 30 and some close to 10 assists and close to 10 rebounds, And then what else you need from your team? I think the recipe would probably be some kind of like 15 points from Jr. Like you need Jr. To be hitting some threes. You need Crowder to be hitting some threes. Um, J.R. Smith was one three point attempt and he missed it. Crowder four attempts he made one. Uh, Isaiah Thomas one of seven from three. As a team they shot seven of 28. The only way that they're going to be able to compete with Golden State is if they're hitting their threes, um, which is hard. I mean it's a difficult thing to do. Golden State plays the perimeter really really well. To your point. Peanut about this probably being the best Golden State team, um, top to bottom. I mean, Golden State played one, two, three, four, five, six. They played eleven guys yesterday. You know, like they can go Pat McCaw for seven minutes if they need Nick Young for twelve. Get a couple of threes from those guys. Um, still bring Iguodala in. Yeah, you know, it's one of these things where the more that you look at the way these rosters are moving, Golden State's roster has players who are on the front end of their careers. Going, we would argue Cleveland has guys that are on the on slightly to the back end, and and that combination is the separation that i think you're seeing since the first time they played in the finals to where we are right now um if i were to say oldest team in the league oldest team in the league 29th ranked defense no team who's finished in the bottom three defensive efficiency has ever made the playoffs let alone the nba finals um so there's things to be fixed but pray to what what about this Cavs team tells you that they're not going to turn it around like years past i feel like every year we have this pod Well, I think it's exactly this, is that it's
2: it's a different mix. Mm -hmm. And you have, first of all, no Kyrie Irving is obviously a big, loss you're, you're getting detail. Isaiah back in minor detail <laughs> where's he playing now? We yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Love is playing a different position Jay Crowder I don't know I mean Mike you know Jay Crowder a little better than me but it just does not seem like he's vibed with that mit- that group it seems like they're always yelling at him
1: <laughs> no I mean there was a one play yesterday where LeBron drove uh, kicked it to the corner and like expecting Crowder to be there and I, I went I rewinded it and Crowder like sidestepped away from the corner and the ball hit the bench and it was like it went out of bounds and it was like LeBron looked at him like what are you doing and it's like he's allergic to the basketball I don't know Crowder I'm with you like Crowder's fit there you would have thought when they initially made the trade that that would have been you know open shut makes sense slam dunk addition perfectly matches up against the Warriors played pretty well against the Warriors when he was in a Celtics uniform the past couple seasons he's not hitting threes his lateral movement on the defensive end has been poor I don't I mean they have him on KD he's you can't guard KD no one can but I mean it's just I don't I don't know how he's not been good this year they also to to
0: your point about the pick and roll real quick like with the more that they use the KD Steph pick and roll the more when you get LeBron at the three-point line guarding Steph like the absolute better for golden state. The rest of the court opens up. LeBron is the principal rim defender for the for the Cavs, which is another major issue.
2: Yeah, well, plus it also Isaiah Thomas. If he's not a, if he's on Steph Curry then he's hedging
0: on Kevin Durant that's, but that's right. not going to work. I mean, Thomas took 21 shots last night too. Like he's still getting his reps up right now trying to get it, you know, his feet under him and and that's definitely part of this. But Pini, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I'm making a face. You're making a face. <laughs> go ahead. I can see the face in person. Okay. I know.
1: Uh, yeah, Isaiah, to me, I mean, he was he forced a few shots, didn't get to the line. I mean, when I'm watching Isaiah since his return, there isn't any burst, and there's no—once he gets into the paint, there's no acceleration. There's no, uh, you know, want to create contact. There was one play where he got into the paint, and he just jumped straight up, and KD blocked the shot. Like, that's not how he plays. He plays oh, yeah. into the body. So if he's not getting into the free throw line, which is where—I mean, that's primarily the reason he was so efficient last year. I mean, hitting the pull-up threes is another thing, but getting to the free throw line is what made Isaiah really special last season and the year before that. And if he's not doing that, I don't know who he is, but yeah. he's not a, an all-star player.
0: Yeah, I mean, so much—you're right. You're absolutely right. And so much of his game last year ended up with him on the floor, you know, and which is a, a massive thing when you're coming back from a hip injury— Anything mm-hmm. where you just don't want to fall on it, you don't want to create that contact. And because, you know, one of Isaiah's biggest strengths is that although he's short, he's so stout, he's so strong. And when he gets his shoulders into you, he gets a separation. But even in getting your shoulder into somebody, there's hip contact. And then there's the, ultimately when you're five, seven, five eight, however tall he is, like there's the fall afterwards too. Um, not yeah. wanting to hit the ground, not wanting to hit the hip, probably going to limit your aggressiveness. Mm-hmm. And, and you're seeing that. It's a, a great point.
2: I mean, think about it. He's slamming his hip into everybody to draw yeah. fouls. So yeah. obviously, if his, well, and so then there's that.
0: And is it his right, thing, right hip? Think, right hip? Do we know which hip it side of this? I don't. That's a good question. Because right hip would mean into the right, shoot with the left, which would probably make more sense. But anyhow, right. what, what are you saying, Mike? Well. And then the, the crowd, I think it sounds like Crowder
2: had a really rough summer personally, and just has been playing catch up. But the other thing that Crowder represents is he's the guy who took Tristan Thompson out of the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. So that's a guy that they feel loyal to. And that's uh, something that's different. You have Wade and all, and I think Wade is fitting pretty well, but there's, when you get Wade, it's a lot. Um, yeah. Just of he's a personality all the It's just, it's a great example of a team that looks fine in theory, but when you don't have the same elements to, I mean, the other thing to think about too, is you've been thinking about player mood. They don't have Richard Jefferson anymore. And he kept things really light. Yeah. You know, these are all things that I think have added up for them. And at least to me, I mean, they may overcome this in the end, but it's telling to me that the play, that you're seeing all this stuff about how even they're saying it's different. Yeah. that They seem like there's more of a crisis um, going on there. And then look, LeBron's free agency is a big looming shadow. There's no doubt. I mean, eventually you throw all these things together and it's, it may be like the same star player and some of the same supporting players, but it's very different team without really the experience of doing what they're doing to
0: dig down and know how to solve the problem. Yeah. And then there's just the doing it again is a big part of it. Like. Right. Re- replicating what they needed to do last year to get over the hump to make the, you know, the defensive switch like it probably took a lot of work. Maybe they don't have it in them. Like I I mean I don't think they do. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's it, it seems work, like they don't uh,
1: practice much and like I just the don't though, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I mean th- they really weren't uh you know enacting the switch happy s- scheme that they did in the finals the last couple seasons last. I mean it was all trapping ball screens and getting picked apart and I don't know you know, I don't know how much of the problem here is Ty Lu. I don't know. Um, you know, that was a great point you made. I wrote this down in my notebook too. The Richard Jefferson loss, like he was, that was documented. He was a humongous factor, a positive influence in that locker room, kept things loose. I don't like when you have, when you replace that with Isaiah, who's also in a contract year, who's, you know, desperately looking to get back on stride, get his money. You have Crowder who is not, Fitting in really all that well uh j r. Smith looks like he's going through something that's you know not <laughs> great for the team uh it's it's just a tricky dynamic for all these different pieces and all these different moving parts and i don't I don't know beyond you know how they play on the defensive end if they can recover here yeah well good thing dark dark rose is close to coming
0: back <laughs> yeah dark rose <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: that's I mean, why
0: it was melancholy
1: though is that yeah. it
0: just
2: they played hard for real hard in that game. I would say like they, they LeBron were energetic and an then, yeah, yeah. LeBron, they was played hard. And LeBron was, LeBron was like playing as a screener so much, like the kind of stuff where you don't see him do because of the physical toll it takes until late in the year. Mm-hmm. And they were playing, they were really trying to attack the hoop. And then it just felt like the warriors outlasted them and yeah. they kind of collapsed into a house of cards. I mean, Cleveland's train the, the natural consequence of playing sort of above your energy level is that you do have a crash. And when you do, the first thing that goes is the thing you suck at already, which is transition defense true. Which is done against the Warriors. And and eventually it's just, I the, the Warriors have always kind of gotten this vibe of like the Cavs want to play like us and bring it on where we're just better at that than them. And that's what, the way that game played out. That's why I felt like it was a melancholy feeling for me after that. They should fire Blatt and bring in an ex point guard who can relate to the players better. <laughs> um,
0: <coughs> so
2: years uh, almost, otherwise that? since almost two years ago. Remember after yeah, a yeah.
0: particularly galling performance on MLK Day against the Warriors. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's funny how that works out. Good symmetry to the game they had um, yesterday. So we spent a little time on this. I, I think the only other point to make here is. It, Part of this is that Draymond had a nice game, Durant, Curry, Thompson. When, when the four of those guys, uh, you know, are playing, there's really not much any team can do. And it used to be that we had a thought that, well, Cleveland, because LeBron, because what he gets out of other guys, like, they're the only other team who can maybe affect that. And it's appearing that they're in the same boat as we talk a lot of times, but in the Warriors scale now, like where do they
1: compare to the Warriors? As opposed to like they're the other team with them, um, right? Like at the end of the day, Draymond and Iguodala combined to go 0 for nine from deep, which is what you need to beat this team totally, and it it doesn't matter. But yeah. like, at, and also at the end of the day. The Cavs are probably going to go to the finals. So as as much as we're talking about how you know let it's raining, Oh, Let me ask. Let me ask. Are you our, sure about that? Uh, I'm,
0: I'm I think st- this is a
1: worthy discussion.
0: <sighs> so we, we all have our fandoms. I'm a Sixers mm-hmm. fan. Prada's is a Wizards fan, and Mike Pina is a Celtics fan. And and let me ask you guys both this: Pina first, with the fan hat on, but also like the objective. I follow right. the sport and cover it nationally. Like, would it be more fun and more interesting to see a new team, a young team, get a crack?
1: The Celtics. Yes. <laughs> it would be a lot more fun for me, even though, I mean, my favorite team would probably get blasted in the finals. Um, no, I mean, look, I still think that at the end of the day, Ty Lue said it when he was asked about if he thinks the Cavs are the best team in the conference, and he said yes, because they have the best player. I agree with that. When you just watch LeBron just Decimate the young. I mean, Jalen Brown trying to guard LeBron James is one of the saddest things you'll ever see. Um, it's it's. I I don't know how I was looking at some of LeBron's numbers with regards to how he performs with a day or two of rest and how he's performing this year on the second night of a back to back. And, I mean, it's a huge disparity. And in the playoffs, you don't have to worry about the back-to-backs. The schedule is more suitable to, you know, his game and, and the age uh, core of that team. So, I don't—I mean, it is a discussion, for sure, especially when you look at how the, the Celtics have played uh, the Cavs this year. Like They have youth. They have athleticism. they got three-point shooting. Uh, they have Kyrie. Um but at the end of the day, like it's just it's LeBron, and he's just kind of this equalizer who just sure. trashes them. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. Can't forget about Toronto, by the way. I know <laughs> I everybody Toronto. does, but I mean, they the the Warriors just played two East contenders and on the road, and which one was the far better game? Lowry didn't play either, and Lowry didn't even play in that game. And there is a, to the, so the question of whether it'd be more fun. Um, If it's someone else, I think the answer is yes. But what I really want to see more than anything is whether the Cavs win or not. I just want to see that East playoffs where it's clear that LeBron is sort of like the the 98 Bulls, 87 Celtics, 88 Celtics style, like kind of this is the last dance of LeBron as LeBron. And there are a lot of challengers that are eager to take him down. And I just want to see if they can actually do it or if LeBron can dig deep Mm -hmm. and find something I mean, you're talking about, again, this is an interesting East. The, the Celtics are a really interesting team with Kyrie now. Um, Toronto, we've talked about. Um, do you see a chart? Chuck, Chuck said yesterday that he's basically that he thinks Milwaukee could beat the Cavs. Hmm. That's you see that. But it wouldn't you? doesn't Milwaukee kind of feel like that second round, you know, push to six, seven game type of team that it's like going to wear LeBron out type of team especially when Parker comes back. I'm leaving the Wizards out of this because they don't deserve to be in any conversation (laughs) uh, with the way they're playing. And, you know, in Philly, maybe if they're coming up, I just, I want to see that East playoffs where each series, it feels like the Cavs are on the the end of their rope and how do they kind of dig deep? That's what I want to, that's what I'm entertained by, whether they make it all the way to the Warriors. I mean, that to me is the only real drama. Unless Houston can kind of get their shit back together and stop and maybe scheme to break down the Warriors defense instead of breaking the Clippers locker room Um, (laughs) or if San Antonio gets if Kawhi gets healthy and they can kind of finally get their team together. I mean, we all know the Warriors are winning. So really, the intrigue, I think, is in like what the, the last dying gasp of the LeBron era, whether it's now or whether it's in two years, when
0: is it? That's what I'm most interested. I mean, and then about. we forget too. Like last year, there was optimum rest for LeBron and in, in, in the NBA uh, playoffs, they lost one game on their wo- road to the uh, finals. So like that, <laughs> a harder playoff slate. Maybe they get pushed to six in the first round. Maybe pushed to seven in the second Ooh. round. Then what do they have left? Should they make it to Golden State? You know, after the conference finals, a harder conference finals. It's just you know, last year was a good. Opportunity for them to split or to get that you know three two sorry two to one advantage over Golden State and know that the worst they could do should they see them another time would be to split four finals. Now it feels like they're angling closer to being the team that got one after some miraculous play you know coming back from three one and a lot of things went their way but ultimately they, they just weren't really as good as Golden State. I think one thing that when we talk about the playoffs by the way and I know you mentioned like where Cleveland falls I think it's actually really important that they get the two seed. Um, and I know part of this is, like, it depends on what happens on the back end, but there could be some really difficult matchups should, like you said, say Milwaukee gets the four. Um, or you know, Miami. Miami is right now yeah, closing uh, on them for the three. Yeah. In which case, I hope the Sixers get the six, because we we could take them in the first round. Um, I actually think, I I actually think the Sixers <laughs> could beat every too. single team in the Eastern Conference except for the Celtics and Cavs in, in a playoff series. Um, but I don't know if we're going to make the playoffs, so that's the big caveat. Um, but with that in mind... I'm looking at these teams right now, and I'm thinking, like, the Raptors are still not going to be, like, striking fear into the Cavs. I think LeBron has a mental advantage, as, as Pina said, and a matchup advantage on the court with the Celtics still. It still feels like we have to talk ourselves into it not being the Cavs, but it will be a more interesting Eastern Conference playoffs this year. I think that's probably the net-net of that. Not, not to put a downer on it.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, you'll know if something's up, if they have a tougher-than-expected early-round series. I mean, the common denominator for all of these – Teams that do sort of lose the end of their rope, the you know the 2011 Lakers, Mm -hmm. the 88 Celtics, is that they have these moments before they collapse where they look vulnerable in the playoffs. You saw with the Neek, I mean the Celtics were on the verge of losing to the Neeks Hawks. You saw even in the first round after before the Lakers got swept, they had that game where Chris Paul lit them up, and you (laughs) can tell it was when you feel like they're sort of skating only on reputation, uh, and they reach that point. That's I think when you know. Yeah, it's a good point. It might. Be the end, um, and I don't know. Here's the last thing I want to talk about: the Cavs. we yep. circling back to the Brooklyn pick. Like, is there a trade that you you can make that would really that would really make a big difference? You think like the, a conceivable yeah. trade?
1: <laughs> Ben's with pointing the at me pick. like I have the answers. <laughs> um, I mean the, the the guy. I I've said this before, and. Uh, he intrigues me as a piece, but I don't know if the team he's on would be willing to move him is Aaron Gordon. Uh, I I think he's kind of a perfect fit in terms of, you know, you're looking for a versatile defender who can shoot threes, who can create a little bit of his own offense, would allow them to play some interesting lineups. Uh, You know, he gives them a dose of athleticism. He hasn't really fared that well uh, defending, you know, KD this year or last year or at any, t- any point in his career either. But I mean, he has another body you could throw and he's a restricted free agent. So if you move that pick, you're getting a guy who you're able to resign, uh, you know, for the long haul if LeBron does leave and he could be your new franchise player. So, I mean, that's the The target there and then I mean Orlando's looking at that like we can get our own pick we have the worst record in basketball right now we have so we have potentially a top three pick and then you know another top 10 pick so if I was with they have new management that did not uh draft Aaron Gordon so I mean if I was Orlando I would look long and hard at that uh beyond that I mean I don't I don't know I mean there's no stars that you're not going to get a star for for this pick I don't think um, I mean, the the options are already limited. You mentioned Paul George, like Boogie Cousins. I don't think that those are uh, options, um, but I'll throw it back to... Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, like I, I look at it like this. If you're thinking about a team who's willing to make a trade, I always think of Orlando as being like a team who's never been in the right position at the right time, probably since Penny and Shaq left. Um, or I guess well, I, know, I say since Dwight, Dwight Howard. Howard left, I apologize, um, 2010, right? So, like, I, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, would they be a good trade partner yeah maybe um I think a lot of teams will know that the Cavs are desperate and hold them for a higher uh, hostage almost against their own situation so they'd be asking for probably more than just uh you know the pick and, and and that's that's where the Cavs have to be thinking about the future even though they don't want to while putting most of their eggs in, in the present um which is is difficult I mean this is why Oldman's got a Difficult job, um, yeah. to say the least. I don't
2: see why. I, I don't, I don't see why the Magic would trade Aaron Gordon. Yeah, but I, I mean, I know that they're they're faced with this sort of do we want to move forward with him question. But he seems like the he's the only dude. He's we the keeper. Move forward yeah, with them. Um, I mean, at least to me. But maybe you want to sell high. I mean, I don't even think that pick again. That pick is going to be what, like the tenth pick, the ninth, no. eighth pick. Like I'm just. I guess if you want to totally bottom out, you could do that. But the Magic also have like big salary. That they probably want to move to. Like I, if I were them, I would be looking to move Fournier and uh someone like that, even John Simmons. One trade I thought about, and I don't think it's gonna make a difference, but I wonder if like if if Cleveland took on Fournier and Simmons and gave back J.R. Smith and the Brooklyn pick, um and maybe another piece. That that might help them a little bit. But it is nibbling at the margins. You guys don't think DeAndre Jordan would do much for them.
1: No, I don't. I don't I'm not a big fan of that addition
0: yeah I actually think given the way the Clippers are playing now too all the Jordan trade rumors are going to die down a little bit um the West is more open than I think they anticipated and and, and us like you know we were shitting on the Clippers earlier in the year and it looked like Doc had basically quit on them and, and the team had and now they're playing much better um I want to talk about a few more games that happened yesterday because there were two more games of, of more interest and then one game that had a little bit of fallout that we I wanted to touch base on because it touches the refs situation. Um, yes, Are you going to talk about uh, the other fight that happened yesterday Yeah, between a- Kyle Lowry and I mean, Ben Strittman? Maybe it Stritman? wasn't a fight per se, but yeah, that's the first game I wanted to mention was the Sixers finally beat the Raptors uh, this year. They're 1-3 against them. Um, they won 117-111. They blew another 18-point lead. Every game, it feels like they're up 18 on everyone. I mean, 22 up on the Celtics. They've been they've been up big this year on the Rockets. I mean, you name it, the Sixers have been up big on them. Whether they win the game or not is, is notwithstanding, Um But they did hold on to win last night after completely blowing a third quarter 18-point lead. Um, and in that, Lowry, who is back from his back issues, his hurt tailbone and some back spasms, so definitely a little bit sensitive to his back, was getting some physical play thrown at him. One of the things that Ben Simmons has started to do, and, and you see this because guys have been getting a little more frustrated, a little bit more in his face lately from a personal standpoint is because he's, he's a bully on the court. And Lowry has always been a bully of a point guard. He's a very, very physical player and didn't like getting kind of shoved, you know, around the rim when there were rebounds going up and fighting through some hard screens, things like that. It eventually bubbles over at the end of the game, and they both get tossed, and Lowry and Simmons, you know, gesticulate like, meet me in the locker room, which in NBA <laughs> history, no one has modern NBA history.
1: Not, not named Jerry Stackhouse.
0: Not, yeah, not yeah. right, true. Not named Jerry Stackhouse. Um, you know, people don't go scrap, and there wasn't any. Part of this is Lowry was playing at home. I'm sure he had a lot of friends and family. I was going to say, how much of this was influenced by Lowry seeing this other dude own his city? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And there were a lot of rumors this summer about Calangelo reaching back out to his old friend, Cal uh, Lowry, and bringing him back to Philly. And, and like, look, it's it's Simmons' team, and, and Simmons is um and you, Simmons did not play great yesterday. He was in some foul trouble. But he's really difficult physically to handle for other guards. And and Lowry got a little frustrated. They had their little tiff. But the bigger takeaway in the game for me was that, you know, that's that's not a horrible matchup for the Sixers should they find themselves angling towards a 7 or 8 seed. Um, just because Embiid can do whatever he wants in that matchup. All the backup bigs on Toronto are small. They're athletic, but they're, you know, Portal and um, nagara like, they're not going to physically match Embiid. And can't can't play with them. It's, it's not even fair for, for Jonas. Um, and they can really go through the lane against, against Toronto. And, and they've played them tough twice of the four games this year. They should have won two of the four. Um, but they won. Obviously, this being their first win, I know everyone in Phoenix laugh and Praet is probably <laughs> rolling his eyes. I could feel Mike rolling his eyes from Skype. Um, I don't, it
2: all makes sense in theory.
0: It's just yeah. Toronto also has a
2: very has a
0: ton of guys that
2: you can throw at Simmons, and they can pack the lane so easily on on uh, on the Sixers. Yeah. yeah. With their length, so and thus blowing I mean, an eighteen point lead.
0: But other takeaway: McConnell has been really, really good this year. I, I'm shocked. Three years ago, you can find tweets from my Twitter handle where I was like, "Can't believe this guy's in the NBA," and I'm working at Vox. But he's, do you want that dude playing heavy <laughs> playoff
2: minutes? Though
0: I'm fine with it. Yeah, like, as good I, as he's I, playing, yeah. as good as he's playing. If they try to roll out those McConnell Simmons BS lineups in the playoffs, they're going to get smoked. Yeah, but the Sixers understanding that our best two man game that we have. Is when, is when McConnell plays off Embiid. They're really, really fun to watch together. Um, he's quite, a season player. That's all I'm saying. I mean, he might be. I've never seen him play in the playoffs like everyone else on this Sixers team. <laughs> uh, we'll have to wait and see if they're playoff guys. But that was a fun game. It was good for the Sixers to get that, get that win against the Raptors. And ultimately, the Raptors have been playing really, really well lately. And they should just be happy that Lowry's back was a minor issue and, and that he's back playing. Yeah. Um, and the person we have on wrote about the Raptors recently. Oh.
1: I did. DeRozan, did, did I, you not? I did write about DeMar, and uh, was fantastic. he was 0-4 from the, behind the three-point <laughs> line yesterday, so yeah. that well, was wonderful. But, but this year has been lighting up the Sixers from beyond the arc, and the league in general. Yeah, no, uh, he he got really—speaking of T.J. McConnell, they got testy yesterday. Yep, they did. Um, yeah, no, DeMar's been playing great. I mean, when I look at the Raptors, they're just so much deeper— uh, Than the Sixers, I think they would just come at you in waves with the options that they have. No one in the world can guard Joel Embiid one on one. So that I I agree with that point. <laughs> I agree with you there. Um, but when you double and help and and, and I, I was trying to track yesterday, I was on a train back from from Boston. Uh, watching that game and I was trying to track uh, how successful the Sixers were when the Raptors actually did give and beat a hard double in the post and they turned the ball over quite a few times uh, trying to reverse it so I the mean had 22 yeah, they turnovers were, yesterday they were pretty sloppy
0: Yeah, which is every game they lead the league in turnovers and fouls which definitely does not help for winning formula the Wizards
2: um, yesterday said, "Hold my beer to that."
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm did you want to talk about that? Because yeah. I actually
2: want to make a Wizards Raptors uh, analogy here. So I think it's worth thinking about.
0: I just wanted to note real. I'm going to get right to that. I was going to say Bulls beat the Heat one nineteen one eleven, but the Heat have been playing really really well, and and they were due for a lapse. And the Bulls are now, by, by no means an easy game. They're they're a tough team to play somehow. Um, so. Kudos to the Bulls, and we'll have Ricky O'Donnell on to apologize to the um, general management of the Bulls at some point um, in the near I saw, future. <laughs> thing of the, I saw this
2: conversation. I think it was a Matt Moore-driven thing, but oh, it was my. actually – maybe think for a second. Would you rather have the Bulls, Young core or the Lakers? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I think it's interesting that this is a question, right? So I mean so, you're talking mark and Dunn, Levine, and uh, – What's portis space,
1: portis <laughs> M- i know
2: no, no not merit she's not in the young core member there's someone I'm forgetting maybe maybe like whatever versus lonzo ingram uh kuzma uh and all that like which one would you take i think it's actually a more a tighter question than i originally okay, thought I,
0: you're probably thinking about it like valentine maybe i don't know i don't See, see the young guys. No one forgets you know? somebody. Somebody obvious. The Denzel, uh, Jordan, Holiday and Grant, Nawaba. And I think you got everyone. Portis is the other young guy, but you know. Anyhow, Markkinen's, Markkinen, Levine, Dunn is, is the core there. You want to mention? So I, probably probably the Bulls big three there, big three, uh, young three. Um, it feels like a no brainer. I'd say like Dunn over Ball, uh, Markkinen over Kuzma. I, is Randall included in that? Did you include Randall?
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't probably not. I don't know. I like, would you? If we're including Randall, we got to throw in Meritage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right.
2: Yeah, I mean, ah, Dunn close. is older
1: than Lonzo, so I mean, yeah,
0: much of course. Older he, so there's also a the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> true. He's he's a young a young old. Um, all right, yeah, that's that's close. But I just wanted to bring that game. But I don't want to stand too long on that. We'll, we'll have that discussion another time. Um, Real quick on uh, – let's touch of that game. The Bucks 104, the Wizards 95. Uh, Mike, you just made a, like a, a noise with your what, – what does that mean? Does that mean you, you had a point to make about the Wizards neglecting to play basketball yesterday? Uh, <laughs> a sigh. Uh, I, what, what about are, that game? I didn't watch it. Um. Well, it's like
2: the same old problems. It's It's not just this game. It's that in crunch time they just – don't know what they're doing. You know, it's the same stuff that how they lost to Utah and how they blew a huge lead to Brooklyn. And I mean, when I think that this is, this game was the breaking point for a lot of wizards fans. This is like, guys, what are we doing here? You know, we have the talent, like, why are we squandering this? And maybe, I mean, maybe I need an outside perspective on this, but like, it seems, uh, it seems amazing to me. And I look at, as a wizards fan, I look at Toronto with so much envy they're both teams that are built around two players that I don't think, I think they're very good, but probably not like the top, top tier of the league. And yet one team, despite winning more games and going just as far in the playoffs, has committed and successfully undergone a culture transformation. They develop players. They keep—they make it so that they're, they're both the similar level of team, but one, it feels so much better and they don't overachieve. And then the other, it's like, they have a better record against good teams and bad teams. They're blowing so many games that they should shouldn't blow. They're underachieving, they're not vibing. They're with the exception of Mike Scott, they're not really getting like the above performance from you know the guys the supporting cast. They're constantly talking and not doing, you know, they just do stupid stuff at the end of games. I mean,
1: they should not have lost that game. They were winning. So what is the difference? The most obvious one to me is that, you know, Ernie Grenfell likes to—he's a surgeon who has Band-Aids, and that's basically how he does his operations, whereas Masai Ujiri has gone to medical school, and he understands the parts of the body, and he's overdone—overhauled the roster in in ways that—I mean, who is the—like— the, the the Delon Wright of the Wizards does not exist. I mean, Kelly Oubre aside, they really he was ha-
2: traded for Boyan sure, sure. <laughs> <Exactly.
1: laughs> Um Exactly. So I mean, effort aside, I mean, every time I watch Markeith Morris play, it's it's just getting sadder and sadder and sadder. But like you need a like a, a to be your Delon Wright. You need someone to be your Van Fle- Van Fleet. You need. Uh, you know, you can't throw all this money at Jan Mahinmi. It's like there's just so many obvious things, that personnel mistakes that have happened that have kind of undercut the progress with the Porter and Beal and Wall Trio, which they get better every year and they play hard and they improve areas of their game. They need improvement, but... I mean, there's just no support system behind them. There's no there's no safety net. And the, the Raptors clearly have that behind Lowry and DeRozan with all the guys. I mean, when Lowry went down, it's like, okay, next man up, and these guys are really good, and they can throw all these different lineup combinations that make a lot of sense that – you know, Pascal Siakam is just like a guy you can throw on the floor for 15 minutes and he will have a positive impact even though he can't make threes. So it's, it's just they don't have any of these players. They don't have any of these athletic young guys.
2: That See, that's true. I also think that's sort of a symptomatic difference when there's something more systemic that I can't really put my finger on where it's like I get – those guys develop for a reason. It's not just because they're better players. It's not just because it's because there's something about the entire organization that manifests itself through what I would call the the holy the holy trinity of an organization, which is the GM and the culture they set, the head coach and carrying that out, and the star players in kind of setting that example. And in all three of those areas, I just think, I know it, it kind of does boil down a little bit to the difference in approach and band aid versus, uh, you know, prescriptive sort of that sort of thing, and expectation setting, I, you know, and all of that. But there's something, to me, it all comes down again to that holy trinity. I mean, you have a GM that sets a way that permeates throughout the whole organization, you have a coach that they're committed to that is able to adjust without fearing that his job is in jeopardy or whatever, and they don't necessarily panic. And then you have two-star players that, frankly, are committed to the cause that they are able to... They like each other. They're willing to make sacrifices. I mean, Lowry has sacrificed a hell of a lot. Getting them paid is not the issue. They're all paid. So what is it? There's something broken with that Holy Trinity, and I don't know... I don't know if you can point to any one factor that kind of causes these things to happen. I think it kind of all kind of permeates. And then because of that, you're now making band-aid moves and you're not developing the, the people you have to develop. I mean, I think all three of those guys have got to look themselves hard in the mirror and wonder what exactly is the deal. I mean, one of the big problems with the Wizards fans now is like, why why doesn't Otto Porter get as many shots as he does while Wall and Beal kind of broke their way in crunch time? I think that's sort of symptomatic of another problem where there's something missing with those top two, with the coach and with the organization's emphasis that, I mean, they're committed to those dudes for a really that's, long time. That's so a that, that's sort of the thing. Yeah. It's <sighs> just frustrating. They have as much talent. <clears throat> they should be the third best team in the conference. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, yeah. It's a good – it's a well-constructed team on paper. Yeah. It really is. Like it's a team that makes sense
0: yeah,
2: without they'd... all the the personality and chemistry things. Like they have two really good guards, a passer and a shooter. They have a great glue small forward. They've got a quality center, 25-minute game center. They've got some interesting bench guys that can put up points. They've got a good coach. They have sort of that four-five swing piece. It just happens to be one that I don't think is very good. But they have it. They have a team that's like right at the cap. They have it's. It all looks fine, but it doesn't play fine.
0: Well, maybe that's maybe that's why fans are are like you in this place of like, what do we want out of this team? What are they supposed to be versus what they are? And then ultimately, Mike, like. What's the future of a of a team who is the third best right now? While their guys are emerging into their um, not emerging into their prime, but they're a little bit below the age where they'll get into their prime. But is this ever going to be a core that competes to win a championship? And these are like short term versus long term, and they all kind of take in this murky place where there's a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. yeah.
2: Do you know what it is too? It's like it's like they, they get a taste of getting to that level, and then they trip their way down. If they, I think you, you comparing to a team like Miami. Miami. I posted this record this uh on Twitter at one point. Like Miami's record versus bad teams and good teams is exactly what you'd expect from Miami. They're really good against the bad teams and they kind of come yeah. up short against good teams. The Wizards is totally flipped. I think most Wizards fans would rather have a scenario like Miami's. You kind of know what you're getting there, yeah. and you can come to terms with it. The problem is that there's this endless feedback loop where they they scratch the surface of doing something more, they talk about it. It's like I said this in art it's like check. Constantly checking Twitter to see – and like maybe one out of five times you have a response in your mentions.
1: (laughs) That's very depressing. (laughs) And that one
2: time is like what makes you want to keep coming back. But, you know, you'd rather just never have a response
0: and you know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. A good Twitter analogy. Um, Although I would like to get into talking more about the Wizards, maybe we push this to another pod as well as – the Thunder Kings game, not that interesting, but the offshoot uh, offshoot of it, which is Camille uh, Anthony saying he's done with the referees, maybe we should spend a little more time on another podcast discussing the greater state of the NBA players versus referee, NBA coaches and players versus current referee situation, because it's getting to a point which is different than I remember in the past, where players truly don't believe in the refereeing or, or trust that the refereeing will be consistent night over night. And I think most people who write about it and follow the game closely would agree, Um but unfortunately, we do not have any more time. I mean, so, Real quick, uh, yeah. real quick like, it, doesn't this come back to, to Mike's point
2: being that everyone's being a little too sensitive? Sure. Bad refereeing players, helps us. Players, those. refs. Like, yeah, but bad whole, refereeing like, ref happens that. Yeah.
0: No, that's what I'm saying.
2: Yeah. Like The ref statement that was like, these people are being disrespectful sure, to sure. us. And, but then also the players like reacting to every call.
0: I yeah. Mean, well, look, the, the infiltration of flopping and the, the way that ref players want to have those conversations with refs that used to be only had by coaches, like, sure, that's a part of this. But I don't know. I do want to talk more about this, but we do have to run, unfortunately, Prada. I know you can't, I can't see the hmm? like they
2: don't, I don't, I don't find myself noticing more ref fuck-ups
0: <laughs> this year. If you look close Maybe. enough, yeah. <laughs> peanuts yes that's a stat that's an actual stat that you can find in the book in the uh, box cornell just uh, rfu's am i wrong am i wrong <laughs> <laughs> no i mean i'd have to go back and diagnose it but we do have to get out of here though unfortunately we have much more to talk about we will have mike pina back hopefully in studio again and hopefully with Prada in studio as well so we can all sit here together but Prada, again thanks for joining us on the on the magic of skype men good luck with the rest of your week Thank you. All right. And uh, hey, Mike Pino, thanks for coming in, man. Welcome to the Vox Media Studios, and uh, goodbye. Always. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, we tackled (laughs) a few— Get (laughs) get out of here. (laughs) And and we have to run uh, as we're being bumped out. But with that in mind, this was a little MLK Day recap of the NBA. Tons of good stuff this week. And uh, we'll be back potentially later in the week, if not same time next week. And until next time, this is the Limited Upside Podcast.